Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Girl Power Hour. Um, I want to first give a little apology in advance. I always have my I have an in-home studio, and uh, my little fur babies are always with me in the studio. Otherwise, you'd hear them whining uncontrollably outside uh, the door. But they're they're in here with me, and they always provide really loving, sweet energy. But one of them has had pretty bad allergies lately, and so she is on some allergy uh, formula, some allergy medicine, and so she should be good through this show, but I can't make any promises. So if you start to hear the hacking cough of a dog struggling with allergies, I apologize. Um, she is feeling better today. But just wanted to get that apology in advance. Uh, as most of you know, if you pay attention to the show page on Facebook, then you're aware that we will have special guest Lawrence Bowman on today. Now, let me give you a little bit of uh, background on Lawrence first before I tell you exactly why we're going to have him on. There's more reasons than why I'm going to have him on to have him on the show. Uh, he's He's got a lot to share and a lot to say, but... Uh, Lawrence is a native New Yorker. He's the husband and father of two, and he now calls New Jersey home. Um, he graduated from sunny old Westbury, uh, and he received his master's in early childhood education from Fordham University. He teaches English language, uh, English language arts, as, as a third grade teacher in New York City, and he's worked in media for Sports Illustrated. Ma- Sports Illustrated Magazine and the National Broadcasting Company, so NBC. He's also worked for the Henry Street Settlement as an education specialist and an after and as an after school program coordinator for Safe Space, a nonprofit organization located in Manhattan. Uh, Lawrence is an avid reader and a writer, which if you get my book, The Sky Was All Purple, a collection of love for prints, you will know that just by the story that he shared and a culture critic. And he enjoys coaching youth baseball. But his true passion has been and always will be music. So in his spare time, he likes to write, play, and study the art of music, which is how he came to know Prince. Uh, he's been doing this all of his life, and it's something that, uh, of course, any musician, uh, typically worth their salt, was inspired to some degree by Prince. And um, certainly uh, Lawrence was and still is. And so he will be calling in uh, shortly to talk to us about his love for Prince and the inspiration there. And the, the reason I had him on today is because I, I wrote this book, The Sky Was All Purple, A Collection of Love for Prince. And if you listened on Friday in our kind of impromptu show that, that uh, Elizabeth Harbin and I threw together, Elizabeth was kind enough to interview me uh, and talk about the book. We discussed, you know, the book and, and a, a great deal about what, what it is, but it's it as it states, it's a collection of love for Prince. It's a collection of stories, so it's a collaboration of sorts. Uh, different people coming together, inspired by Prince, sharing stories of love and inspiration and gratitude, and just the feelings of initial loss uh, that everyone seemingly experienced when he transitioned into spirit. Of course, many of us have come to realize that. He is still very much here with us, and there is no such thing as death. In fact, it is just another form of life that we enter. We just transition into another realm. So there is no such thing as death, and that is something that I am continuing to hear uh, and something I am aware of on a very deep personal level. So... I extend that to everyone out there listening. If you're still struggling with grief with regard to Prince, well, let me assure you, he is not gone. He is still here. You may not see him in the physical world, like in the physical realm on interviews or uh, as you saw him on stage, but you will certainly hear him and you can certainly speak to him. He's more accessible to us now than he ever was, especially those of us who were not able to reach him through traditional channels because of his celebrity status when he was in the physical realm. So that said, uh, this book actually has in the prologue an invitation for 
anyone listening or anyone who has uh, decided to purchase this book that states that there will be a second book. And as Elizabeth uh, let us all know, including me, there will be a third book as well. If you did not hear the show on Friday, by all means, check out the archive just so you'll kind of understand what it is I'm referencing. She was receiving messages from Prince, information from Prince while we were talking. As you all know, if you listen to Girl Power Hour regularly, Elizabeth Harbin is the psychic that that comes on once a month and uh, once every first Wednesday of the month and discusses, you know, dream interpretation or, or offers free psychic readings. Uh, she talks about crystals and angel numbers and everything spiritual. And she was receiving information from Prince. It was actually the reason that she decided to uh, contact me to put the show together. So she was receiving information. If you want to know what information she received, again, you can go to the archived shows and you can listen there. You can listen to the show uh, all the way through because it is a little longer than the 60 minutes that you're used to. We did get more information. She continued to receive information, so I did extend the show. So we went far past the on-air time. So if you did listen but you missed the end of it, then certainly catch the archive so that you can tune into the 30 minutes after the episode ended that you may have missed. But as I was saying in the prologue of the book, there's an invitation for those of you who are listening and those who have picked up the book to read it because maybe you have a friend that contributed. Maybe you know Lawrence, and he contributed, and you're reading it for that reason. If you have had any experiences with Prince, if you didn't get to share your story in this first book and you would like to now, maybe you feel inspired by Lawrence or any of the other contributors that uh, shared their story of inspiration, love, and gratitude, then you can send that my way. If you've had an experience with Prince since he transitioned into spirit, maybe there's something happening for you. Maybe you're connecting with him on a spiritual level. If so, please send your story my way as well. I'm going to be putting together a second book, and I should say we, because it certainly wasn't just me that did this first one. I will certainly give credit to Prince for that as well. Um, But by all means, contact me and send your stories my way. You can also include a headshot if you would like to, and any pictures or images that would be relevant to your story as long as they're pictures that you took um, so that I don't have to worry about photo credit as I certainly don't want to take uh, any credit away from an artist. As we know, Prince would not want that either. So if you'll send that to Cherokee Cherie at hotmail.com and uh, again, you can find my email address here on the show page. If you're listening, then you're already there and you can contact me that way. You can go to the homepage for Girl Power Hour and contact me. Uh, there's the email address is available there. Otherwise, again, that's Cherokee Cherie at hotmail.com. Send your stories my way. Send your headshots and send any images that are relevant to your story. And I would look forward to hearing from you. And then you can see yourself published, just as Lawrence did. Uh, speaking of Elizabeth Harbin, just so you know, a little bit of an announcement before Lawrence calls in. Next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central, Elizabeth Harbin will be on the show with us again. And we will be discussing uh, angel numbers this time. Now, we're still doing dream interpretation. So, of course, if you have a dream, (laughs) if you have a dream that you would like to have interpreted, by all means, give us a call. That number, 602-753-1589. Be sure to write that down. And then if you are having recurring dreams or a dream that's puzzling you or maybe you haven't had anything just quite yet, we'll put a journal next to your bed. And if you do have any vivid dreams, anything that's kind of puzzling you that you're not sure what it means, then write it down. You know, get up as soon as you have that dream, write it down in your journal next to your bed and then go back to sleep. And call in on Wednesday between 3 p.m. and let's say 345 uh, on Wednesday, 3 p.m. to 3.45 Central, and let Elizabeth interpret that dream for you. She's very helpful in that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to her offer that to callers, then check out the archive shows. She did that for us the first uh, Wednesday of April. So you can check out that show 
and get a feel for how that works and exactly what she does and just what kind of information she can offer. But we'll also be talking about angel numbers. If you're not familiar with angel numbers, Google it. By all means, understand and do some research why angel numbers, what they are, and why they're so important. If you're seeing repetitive numbers, uh, 222-333, or it's in double digits or triple digits or just constantly one number over and over, there's a reason. And there's messages. There are messages tied to these to these numbers. So if numbers are repeating for you or you've seen a specific number for many years over and over, if you're just noticing lately that numbers are coming to you and they are just, you know, it's just a coincidence, you're thinking, but you're seeing them over and over and over, it's more than a coincidence. And you need to call in and let Elizabeth tell you why. And she can give you that information. I think we have Lawrence calling in right now. I'm going to check in. But again, be sure to listen in at 3 p.m. Central next Wednesday as well with Elizabeth Harvin for Dream Interpretation. Write down those dreams and give us a call and uh, make sure that you call in with your angel numbers as well. To get any information from her, um, she's going to let you know what those angel numbers that you're seeing mean for you, what kind of messages you're receiving from your angels. All right, let's see if this is Lawrence calling in now. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Lawrence. Is this Hello, hello. hello. how are you? This is me. How are you? I'm great, I'm great. Good. You know, I have to tell everyone, I'm going to remind everyone that this is the first time you and I have actually spoken. So yeah, it's been a lot now. over you know, technology or whatever, which I'm not a big fan yeah. of, but it's just the way of the world. we got to do what we got to do, right? That's exactly right. we got to do it that way. It's just the only way we can. So it's exactly. really it's, it's a complete pleasure for me to have you on the show and to be able to talk to you. Uh, and let me first say, before we even get into this interview, I am so grateful to you, and you've known that since the day that you sent your story in for your story and for the fact that you shared so vulnerably and so openly and so humorously. You provided so much comic relief for this book, which if you've read it, it's greatly needed. So thank you so much for doing that and for being so inspired by Princess Loving Him so much and and for sharing that. You have no idea how much it means. No, well, I appreciate it. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity, but, I mean, uh, not only – it was your article that really kind of lit the fire, but really i got to give the credit to my wife because she found the article because so, she knew I was just going through it after, you know, the hor- we all got the horrible news. And I was just oh, didn't yeah. want to talk to anybody. I just basically wanted to just, you know, get under the bed and stay there. And then she said, no, no, no. She's like, I found this article on Facebook. And I said, like, I don't want to read anything. She goes, no, you have to read it. And then once I read it, it was like that, that ray of light. It kind of, you know, just I heard like the, 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 the oh, you know. Then suddenly it kind of pulled me out of whatever, you know, serious funk that I was in. Then after reading it, you know, I always like to read people's comments because as I read it, I was like, that's it. That's yes, yes, yes. You know, it was like a revelation. Then I read the comments and that's when I found out that, you know, I got your name and then it, it's, you know, you had stated to, I guess somebody else that responded to it that you were doing a book. Then I was like, you know what, I wonder if she, if I could do something. Then obviously I sent you the email. You said absolutely, and then absolutely, here we are now. I know. What a fantastic story. And the thing of it is, is what's been beautiful about this is that this all came from, obviously, as you stated, devastating levels of pain. I mean, my article did, and then the everyone that wrote in, you know, we were all in the same boat, so to speak. We were all in the same situation. But it just as, as Prince would do, right, this is just totally Prince, is that he would collaborate, he would bring people together, and he would do this taking any pain that he ever experienced in his life to create something beautiful and magical and to bring people together. And I'm like, man, you did it again. You're doing it again, even from the spirit absolutely. world. You're, you're absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He's yeah, a shaman cool. that way. He just kind of brings, like, he, he kind of put the, the freaks and the outcasts and the so-called mm-hmm. weirdos, and we all mm-hmm. basically want to go and party uptown because that's where I want to be. Yeah. You know, set your mind free, you know. <laughs> like the song says, black, white, Puerto Rican, everybody just a freaking. That's what it was all about. You know, absolutely that's what it was that's about. That's right. Yeah. 
Well, so, okay, so I want to get into this because I know, you know, not everybody listening has, has, has read this book and not everybody's picked it up yet. Some people have ordered it and it's not yet come in. So I, I want to give one, just the beginning of, and of course you started it as, as, as any true Prince fan would. You said, I was dreaming when I wrote this, so forgive me if it goes astray. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the minute that I read that part, I knew this was going to be a great story. But I, in the very beginning of your story, uh, you say, Dearly beloved, identity is something that we have all sought out in our lives, that sense of self in a world that very often makes no sense at all. We look to parents, relatives, and friends in hopes that they can guide us into knowledge of self and a sense of being. That inner journey, more often than not, begins outside ourselves as we look at a world that sends mixed messages of who and what we can be. But what happens when you can't, define, can't be defined by your nuclear family and friends? When the outside world conflicts with your inner intelligence, where does one go and who can you turn to? And then, of course, you go on to say that you turn to music. Now, I have to ask you, and first of all, you're an amazing writer, so I've already told you, and just so everyone on <laughs> listening knows, anything you ever want to send my way, by all means, send it when it comes to these Prince books, because there's going to be another, and evidently another after that. I had a, a one of the psychics, there's a psychic that comes onto my show once a month, and she'd mm-hmm. actually received some information from Prince and did an impromptu show with me on Friday because she was receiving information from Prince, and she received information from Prince on the show and said that there will also be a third book, so... I okay. guess you just keep on sending stuff my way. <laughs> yeah. I'll do but, that. Uh, yeah, but at any rate, um, you know, I have to ask you, one of the things that has been obviously prominent throughout your story is, I mean, you are an avid musician. That is something mm-hmm. that you have you were doing early on. You were drawn to music very early on. I was as well, so this is one reason you and I clicked, you know, pretty quickly. We had some, a lot of similarities, and personalities and just kind of the way that we look at life but you had a real draw to music early on um Mm -hmm. when did you first hear Prince and what was that experience like for you because you know I know you found your identity there but was that the first when you said you know where where do you go did was Prince the first person you went to or did you start somewhere else and then find Prince how did that go no actually it wasn't I mean when I think back it's like uh my parents, you know, my father, he was a photographer, and, you know, my mother, they liked music. So when I was very young, they had a very large vinyl collection, and they would always tell stories how, and they used to keep it in, like, this kind of cabinet. And I would go into the cabinet and always just pull the records out, just pull them out, and kind of pull them out of their sleeves and look at the covers and just do what, you know, small children would do. But, you know, very early on, I think the first thing people that really got my attention, of course, was probably the Jackson 5. That, you know, Michael Jack, just mind-blowing. But outside of that, I can vividly remember sitting in my living room and looking at the cover of Sly and the Family Stones Fresh. Because Sly had this huge perm and had this kind of leather outfit on, doing some kind of like karate kick or whatever. And I was just amazed (laughs) at the, like, who is this guy? And these were the things that were played in the house. And I distinctly remember... and an Al Green album, Let's Stay Together. He had like a, they had this funky afro with this kind of cool leather jacket on, with this kind of like side grin, like "Hey, I'm here." So these are the you know <laughs> these are the things I grew up listening to. My first interaction with Prince it was from my cousins actually. Um, I was I don't remember how old I was, but I believe um, I want to be a lover was the song that was out at the time, and you know they were a couple years older than me, and this was at a time when there was a lot of like you know magazines. They used to be just uh, basically for R and B music. I think it was like uh, Right On and Blackbeat, and they'd had little pinups inside, and it was a picture of him. Right. And I think it was the cover of the second record where he had that perm, and they had a picture of him on the wall. I'm like, who is this? They're like, that's Prince. I'm like, Prince? It's like, is that a guy or is it a girl? I'm like, no, it's a guy. It's like, you haven't heard the song? They were like, no. And then they had the album and they played it. I'm like, okay, that's okay. That's all right, you know. But it wasn't so much later on until I think 1999 had come out. I was aware of him, but it hadn't really grabbed me yet. But it was when right, 1999 right. first came out and the first time seeing that video with the keyboard riff to the song, 1999, the lights were flashing around. And then also, it was the first set of lyrics. I was dreaming when I wrote this, forgive me if it goes astray. And I, when I woke up this morning, because one was Judgment Day. And that is what, that's what got me. And then as I listened to the song, 
because my grandparents were very religious and you know from them unfortunately they lived down south but you kind of get the fire and brimstone kind of version of god that right. if you're not good every you're going to burn forever so and you know it right. put a lot of fear into you so when i hear this song for the first time i'm like wait a minute he's talking about judgment day and he's having a party and i was just trying to put it together in my head and it was just like you know one of those moments like you know you're thrilled and you're afraid at the same time because of what you've been told judgment day is and this guy with this cool purple jacket and these people in his band he's throwing a party and then he also brings in the whole right. thing about you know about everybody's got a bomb we're gonna then he brings that into it like so he's basically has a party and we're talking about total and complete destruction on a spiritual level and a physical level. And it was just like completely overwhelming. Yet the song was absolutely fantastic. The video was absolutely fantastic. And from there, I was struck. And then I think not too long after that Christmas, uh, a good friend of my mother's had bought me the record. And outside of that song and Little Red Corvette, it just kept getting better. I think I'm like you. Yeah. I like those deep, deep album cuts. Like there's something in the world mm-hmm. of the computer, lady cab yeah. driver, international yeah. lover, automatic. Nothing yeah. sounded like automatic. I mean, no, it was just with the the, the, yeah. the keyboards, the minimalist, the, the the drum machine was very dry. Something in the world of the computer. It's kind of cold and very computer-like. I'm like, what is mm-hmm. this? And from there, <laughs> I was a complete convert. I was a complete convert. And I said, like, it can't get any better than this. And oh, was I wrong? Was I wrong? I just didn't think it could get any better than that. And surprise, and we all know what happened after that. We all know what happened after that. Purple rain, yeah. Exactly. And that was like the whole, it it just took it to a whole other level for me. I remember seeing the movie for the first time in the Bronx in Parkchester, and I was completely stunned. I did not move. I could not believe what I was seeing. It was like parts of my life were being played out on the screen. It was it was just unbelievable. I remember my cousin like, "Are you okay?" It's like, "Well, yeah and no." It was it was just <laughs> a literally shock to my it was a shock to my system. I couldn't believe what I'd just seen because outside of the music, the music was already enough. But then the film it was just so entertaining on so many levels. There was just so much going on in the film. There were so many things that I could identify with, so many things I connected to. And this is outside of the music. The soundtrack was enough. Right. It was just an absolutely right. brilliant piece of work, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I so agree with you. That's one thing, you know, about Prince. I, I've tried to explain to been people that have really, you know, to me, I mean, I meet people and they, they're not, they say to me why I was never really into Prince. And I, I probably look at them like, you know, they're aliens or something, but they it's interesting because they don't really understand what the, what the catch is. And it's like, you know, I, I, I don't, I guess, I don't know how you could not see what the catch is, but like for me, it's, it's just been like you said, there's so much that's diverse and clearly divinely inspired. I mean, this guy's getting this information from somewhere else. Like this was coming completely from a, a divine place and such a gifted person that was putting out music, you know, faster than anyone else. And this wasn't like at deadline speed where there was nothing in it that was really of substance. Everything he was doing was filled with substance, you know, and, and, and everything was filled with a message and, and including his movies, not just the music. I mean, there was movie, there were movies too. And on top of exactly. that, everything, everything that he, every message that he put out there, he was so, as you, as you speak about in your story, uh, you know, he was so good at creating that air of mystery, so he wouldn't just do interviews left and right. And when he did do them, he was careful to only say what was necessary and to make what he said significant, important, a message, you know, to the people that would be watching or listening. And did that throughout his entire time in the physical world. So it's just interesting, you know, when you hear people not really understanding it. I don't know. I mean, there was definitely a part of me initially was thinking, well, maybe it's because you know, I identified with the role of a lost child, and I think I certainly see that in Prince, but that he would have, you know, identified as well as a child. But I, maybe it's just, you know, it's certainly that is some of it. But I think also it's just, like you said, I mean, the weirdos, the freaks, the, you know, we all get it because that's, he was like our hero. You know, he was our, he was our superhero, just kind of really represented us, 
and and yeah, in, in he a way just encompassed us, so yeah. many things. And when I look at him, it was a yeah. sense of freedom. It was like this kind of yeah. you know, he was a short, you know, effeminate man, but that did exude masculinity. He was always surrounded by yeah. these beautiful women, and his sense of humor, like it was a lot of tongue in cheek, like I wrote in the article, like that classic, you know, right. a pervert and a trench coat on the cover, dirty mind, and all the songs were out of right. somebody with a dirty mind with the bed springs on their back. Are you really taking that serious? I'm like, it's it's a, like a joke. It's like an inside joke. You know, he was always very yeah. coy that way. And we have that sense of humor. Then when we get onto a more metaphysical level, we listen to the end of Darling Nikki with the backward messages. I remember, yeah. I don't remember how many times I spun my record backwards, like, what is he saying? And I did that. So that was always there, too. There was always the flash. <laughs> there was the bombast. It, it was Everything yeah. was there. And let's not forget the musical chops, which was most important. And I think a lot of people yeah. who didn't get it, it's because they were just looking out on the surface. Like, who's this? It's not that great. You know, right. it's a lot of flash. There right. was so much more to it. You know, and then people are like, yeah. well, look at him. He looks like a girl. But these were the same people during the 80s that, you know, a lot of the, the hard rock and the metal fans, well, they look like girls yeah. too. So what's the problem? <laughs> Glam here? rock. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. You not seeing the connection here? You know, I mean, all in all, he did what Bowie was doing. He was playing with roles of gender and playing, you know, just creating his own world. And those of us that were, you know, didn't feel that we fit anywhere, they were always symbols of freedom. They didn't care. They had something to do. They were here to do something, and they were going to do it, rather if you liked it or not. And they had their core cult following. And that's right. why they were gifts. They were absolutely Bowie was a force of nature, and Prince was absolutely a force of nature. And I don't find it coincidental that they both left us within the same year and a, and a couple of months separated from each other. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly absolutely. on that one. I, I, it's uh, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this on the show on Friday, but I have to say this: the the painting that's on the cover of this, and you know, also inside it, I actually started that. I. That was in a series of artists that I had painted that had inspired me. And, um, you know, there was an Elvis Presley, there was a Marilyn Monroe. And uh, it wasn't necessarily that I was inspired by Marilyn Monroe so much as that, I mean, she was always coming up in pop culture. So it was something that was always with me. Then I started painting a David Bowie. And I started painting it the night before I found out that he had transitioned into spirit. And then I started Mm -hmm. a Prince painting. And then I found out that he had passed away so it was like interesting I was I evidently was receiving some information as well but I had it did not shock me either I mean of course that you know I took that last one in a devastating way but it did not shock me either that they both were transitioning in the same year because as I yeah they were really to me one in the same yeah yeah most definitely um, you know, you talked about in your book something that I, I really love that you brought this in. Uh, no one else really touched on this, and I absolutely love this. You talked about how he, you know, also really challenged these different categories of race and gender and, you know, in controversy, obviously. You know, like you said in the book, am I black, am I white? You know, do I believe in God? You know, do I believe in me? Like all of this stuff that he's constantly questioning and kind of like you said, baiting his baiting his critics, baiting the media. I mean we watched him do that quite a bit, right? The media were probably inspired that song for sure. You know, the fact that they were saying all kinds of things about him, questioning him constantly, trying to figure out, put him in a box. And he just right. didn't go in a box. No, right? absolutely. He, kept, he, did, he didn't fit in a box. That. He was who he was. Mm-mm. Exactly. And and you talked about a little bit about MJ as well, about how, you know, Michael Jackson was always around and uh, that MTV, you know, initially wouldn't play videos by black artists. And then, of course, Michael Jackson comes out and, you know, he kind of makes that very clear. That's a bad move. And then Thriller takes over. But you talked about even with Prince and something that, you know, people don't maybe think about is that he was that person that, and in interviews, he would do this too. I recently was doing some research with regard to him, and I looked up a particular interview where he was asked about the fact that you know some, some one of someone from the media was asking him about the fact that you know there are so many diverse groups that would show up to his shows, and and the person that was interviewing him said, you know, you've got black people, you've got white people, you've got uh, people of all ages. Like, how does that feel for you? And Prince responded and said man, I'm not into divisions, and none of my friends are either. And he referred to his fans as friends, so that's what he was talking about. 
And he was like, none of, none of my friends, none of my friends that show up at these shows are either. We're just people. And that's something that no other artist did, you know, that did not come out and say, let's stop making these divisions and stop dividing it like that. And so you, you brought that up in the, in the book too. You were talking about how he kind of ended those questions because people were always talking about, well, you're not black enough to be black or you're too light to be right. black, you know, and you're too, right. but you're too black white, you know, and Prince was fitting in that category too. People were always questioning his race. I mean, still to this day, people are questioning his race, you know? Right. And he, so, I mean, that's something that's always coming up. And yeah, he so kind of comes that, from my... Yeah, a mix. Yeah, there's a lot mm. of things going on with him and he just, he just came from a space of, let's stop dividing people because that's right. not working. Let's bring people together and let's not talk about race and gender and all that. Let's just all be. So tell me about yeah. that and how that influenced you because I know you wrote about it so much and I love that you brought that in. Well, I mean, for one, going back to Prince, he kind of comes from, I guess, a, a line of that. When I think back, I think back to bands like, you know, Arthur Lee and Love, you know, they were mm-hmm. the band that the Doors wanted to be. So Arthur Lee, they were an interracial right. band. You didn't see that. And, you know, and the Chambers brothers were like that. And then we think later, Sly and the Family Stone was definitely, they took it to the next level. They were mixed race, but yeah. it was male and female. No one had seen that. And I know right. these were influences on Prince. I know these were things that were in his record collection. Definitely. So when you saw yeah. Prince and then, much, of course, much later on with the revolution when Wendy came, you know, oh, I'm sorry. And I forgot, how could we forget Hendrix, you know? He really yeah. took it to the next level. Yeah. He, I'm sure he got all the same questions. And this is in the 60s, and we know what uh, America was like in the 1960s. And Hendrix right. had so much pressure on him from both sides, you know, to cater to the white audience. Oh, you can't do the Band of Gypsies. It's, it's too black. They're not going to like it. Then, you know, on the other half, the Black Panthers, we want you to do, um, you know, performances for us. You know, who are these two guys in your band? And he's like, hey, you know, I remember reading Hendrix said in an interview, he's like, is it revolution? He's like, it, you know, choosy the revolution. I'd rather not. I just want to turn people on. He didn't want to be right. involved in it so much. So he just wanted to make music. But his sta- he it was already political by him just doing what he did. He didn't have to say anything. Yeah. Just him standing there on stage with Mitch Mitchell and Noel Reddy and doing what he did was the political statement. But for others, that's just not enough. And obviously the right. pressures of being who he was, trying to do what he wanted to do, pleasing the audiences, pleasing management and the label, you know, the pressures get too much. And then obviously they they leave us, you know, they leave us. Right. And now right. with Prince, exactly. he was a continuation of that, but he was much more coy with that. He wouldn't talk to you. It's like you either dug it or you didn't. It is what it is. I'm not going to answer your questions. Right. Because the smart yeah. people, you'll wonder, but it's about the music first. Forget about the band. You know, forget about what we look right. like. Are you listening to the music? And it was always for me about the music. But when you look at the models that he put out there, that was, for me, that was representative of the life that I wanted to live. It represented the people that I spent time with. It was representative of the people I wanted to spend time with. Because Prince, I guess, much like myself, he grew up in you know Minneapolis, and it's a predominantly white city. I grew up, well, first, I lived in the Bronx. We moved out, and I moved out to Dutchess County, and I was basically the only black kid in my class. I was the only black kid basically in, in my grade. So that's when I started to get my hard rock, heavy metal, like, you know, education from that, and I kind of opened my ears to other things and just opened my eyes being around different people, going from living in the city to the suburbs where there are no stores on the corner. So I had to be a chameleon and slowly adjust. So looking at Prince and the model that he created, you know, later on when I did discover his music, like, yeah, this is where my mind is at. This is that place. Uptown is that place. Nobody cares what you look like, what you got on. It's all about who you are. And Prince's music was all about who you were. Because when you go to the shows, you look around, everybody is represented. And everybody's there for one thing. They're there for his message, for his entertainment, and for his music. So that way you find a sense of community. And and that community still exists because Prince fans, I think, I won't say more so than any other artist, but, you know, they click very quickly. You say, oh, you're in the Prince? I'm in the Prince too. You know, and then just all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. because I've met, 
I can't tell you how many people that I've clicked with it's because we were just fans of his music. Some may just be on the surface, but then those of us that go much deeper, then we've always developed those very special type of relationships around him, his message, what he represented. But most importantly, it was always about the music. The music came first. Yeah. No matter what his hair looked like or who he was allegedly dating or whatever was the so-called, you know, if he had slave written on his face, whatever it was, it was always about the music. Is he putting out quality music? Of course he is. Who are we talking about here? Prince is not going to put anything out ridiculous. It's, it's not possible. Right. It's just not possible. Some exactly. things you may like more than others, but in the essence, the, the, the passion, the, the, the skill level, but not only him, but the, the musicians he had in his band as well, because I can't think of the endless amount of people that he's played with. I mean, top-notch musicians. And from what I've read and what I've heard, he was always better than everybody in his band. It's like, if you can't play your part, right. I'll play it for you. And it's like, wow, this guy's amazing, but Prince could outdo him. It's just it, it, He's too much. He's absolutely too much. Yeah. You know, that's one thing you mentioned is – it's interesting to me that people, you know, you said you might not dig everything that he's put out, but it's always going to be quality no matter what. The thing about Prince that was so cool, he would not, and especially later on, you know, in later years, he he would not play, uh, you know, people would pay all this money to go see his shows, and he was not the guy that was going to, like, just play his 1999 Little Red Corvette over and over and over oh, for no, the next, no, you know, no. 50 years. Like, that's not what he was going to do, even though the audience wanted that. And I saw an interview with him when someone was asking him about that, you know, people pay all this and they come in and they expect to hear this and you don't give it to them, like, how do you feel about that? You know, what is, I mean, don't you think that your audience members get upset? And he said, you know, my fans are sophisticated. And as I expect them to evolve, I would hope they expect me to evolve. And I can't imagine that, you know, I mean, I I understand that they want to hear that music, then that's great, but I'm putting out new stuff and I'm evolving. And as an artist myself, um, you know, even as a, as a writer and a painter, I feel the same way. I wouldn't want to paint the same painting over and over and over or write the same book over and over and over because somebody really loved it, you know. It's like that's great yeah. that you love that and he's going to go out on tour while it's out. But after that, he's evolving. And the thing about him is he didn't stay in one genre. Like he was all over. You couldn't even put him in a box there. People would put him on pop charts or R&B or whatever, but it was like he was all over the map, a jazz you know, rock and roll, like, he, he did it all. So exactly. You know, of course, he had to have that wide palette with his audience, too. And I love that you, you talk about that as well. And and that's got to be something that spoke to you because you said that you he taught you how to pull together all of your influences. So Yeah, because, you know, you can you get stuck in a box. Yeah. Yeah, I mean – even with life, you get stuck in a box with, you know, the people, the friends that you make, the people that you date, the restaurants you go to. You know, he would branch out. And, you know, he gave me permission to like certain types of music. So, because, like I also mentioned in the article, for me, he was a guitar hero. And he's a very, well, to us, he's not underrated. But when you look at the landscape of guitar heroes, you know, he's not really mentioned. But there was nothing right. that I enjoyed more than hearing Prince absolutely shred. He was absolutely amazing. He was a great pianist, mm-hmm. drummer, bass player, everything, but I loved to hear him play guitar. That's why I was so excited about Third Eye Girl. It seems like he had stripped everything down again. It was like you, I think you mentioned yeah. he was coming full circle again. He had his afro again, and yeah. he was stripping everything down like he had started in the beginning. He was playing with Andre Simone back and when Gail Chapman was in the band. And I liked that he was coming back just to, to a raw sound, not as many horns as everything, because he basically he had done everything. So And it's all about yeah. just a big, large, musical palette. Everything was there. So if you were a rock fan, he had stuff for you. If you were a jazz head, it was there. If you wanted to, of course, the R&B influences, it, everything was there. So if you look through his whole catalog, no matter what you like, there's something for you. That's why he had such a device, you know, you know such a, a, a wide audience because there was something for everybody. And then, like I tapped on before, like music transcends race and class and gender, and he was able to break through all those things with the music and just paint these beautiful pictures about what life should really be about. And, of course, let's not forget about the sense of humor. It was always there, kind of thumbing his nose at the critics and at times (laughs) at the fans, just kind of playing with them. And that's what I appreciate 
his sense of humor. Like, I don't know if Under the Cherry Moon was meant to be a comedy, but I still laugh out loud at some of the silly things that yeah. are going on in that film. <laughs> you know, I do. It's just ridiculous, you know. And I don't know if that was the way it was planned, but it's hysterical. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Right, I agree. Uh, you mentioned that in the article too, the Recasto part, and that's oh it's yeah, Recasto. <laughs> yeah, and every Prince friend knows if you wanted to buy a Sam Cooke album, where would you go? Recasto, Recasto, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, um, there is something else that I want to talk about that you mentioned in your piece, and again, if if you haven't yet picked up this book i mean definitely you want to check out lawrence's part i i'm i've been blown away by your contribution and i continue to be it's as i told you it's one of my favorites it's it's very top of my list and so i'm i'm quite well aware that it will be for readers as well but you said uh he was a shaman of sex and spirituality a trait that he shared with sam cook little richard Jimi hendrix al green and marvin Gaye. It was never a surprise that he stopped cursing and gave his life to Christ as a Jehovah's Witness. What other way could it have gone? So tell me about that. What do you mean by that? What other way could it have gone? Well, I mean, just I think just as black people, you know, the church has always been there for us, you know, and, you know, us, you know, as, you know, black people, you know, in America and our history here through slavery and the church was always there. So, Mm-hmm. I mean, with that, all of those singers, Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye, they've all come out of the church. A lot of the, the but I say 90, if probably 99%, Aretha Franklin, you name them, where did they get their start? Right. They got their start at the church, right. you know? And awesome. it was always yeah, difficult. Sure. And I know it was definitely in Marvin Gaye and definitely in Sam Cooke that hold that there's certain lines that you don't cross. It's either secular music right. or it's not. And I remember always hearing, I remember my mother talking about it, after Sam Cooke was murdered, there was, there was always this talk of, well, see, that's what happens when you leave gospel and you go and do pop music. And I never understood mm-hmm. that because it's like, what does Sam Cooke having a party, you know? Um, a change right. is going to come. What was so wrong with that? There was a spiritual element to those songs. Maybe and exactly. using gospel rhythms to pop music, but wouldn't that bring... Like I said, starting to bridge those gaps. I mean, what's the problem? Right. I mean, with Marvin Gaye, it was a lot deeper because I know his father was a preacher, but there was a whole thing with the father cross-dressing and talking about getting mixed messages. And I don't know if you've read Desired Soul by David Ritz, but the father was quite abusive, but especially toward Marvin because uh, in the book – um, uh, his brother, I was his, no, no, his sister was saying that it just seemed that the father never liked Marvin because the father would preach this fiery sermon and the people would be up in arms, but then Marvin would come and sing it and it, was as, it would be as if he didn't say anything. They'd be over the moon with right. this, this young boy's voice and it seemed like the father couldn't reconcile that. So there's always thinking that, that those thin lines, you know, especially with black people about things that are in church and things that are outside of the church. And I could, and myself, I never understood that, you know, because even Sly Stone himself came out of the church. But if you listen to things like everybody's a star, I want to take you higher. He was trying to take you to a higher place, but maybe in sure, a pop format, but it's all part of that same message. You know, God is very one dimensional. Why would he give these people this talent if he didn't want them to use it? Now, sometimes things go awry. You know, Sly had his issues, Marvin had his issues, and yeah, but that's still being a human being. But what were they really trying to do? What was Marvin really trying to do with what's, I mean, not let's get on, but rather what's going on? You know, he said that that album for him, God basically wrote it. And when you listen to it, you believe it. He said, you know, I remember him telling, reading that him him and Smokey Robinson in the studio, and Smokey was just blown away by it. He said, it's beautiful things he wrote. He's like, Smokey, I didn't write this. God wrote this record. He's just channeling through me. Mm. And Prince was the same Mm. way. Not every single song, but when he was addressing those things, it was there. It was coming from another place. So it was always trying to balance the two. And all throughout Prince's career, he would do that. You look at controversy, you know, you have songs like Sexuality, but and even in the song... Um, the song Controversy itself, he would do the Our Father in it. At the end of Darling Nikki, which is quite provocative, you know, you have your backward mm-hmm. message of him talking about the Lord is coming soon. So you would try always mm-hmm. trying to balance that, you know, and I, I, he was as well. 
there was his physical self and there was his spiritual self. And these are all battles that we all fight. We're trying to balance the both. We're mm-hmm. always trying to balance those exactly. two energies. And, you know, with him, that's one thing that I think is interesting you talk about. I, I, myself, you know, my musical, uh, I guess my influence came from gospel as well. And, and it was that Southern Baptist gospel, too, which had a very difficult time with the secular music. So I think that was another reason that I really was drawn to Prince, because I was well aware that there was something there that was mixing the two, right? You know, because like you said, he would always have these very spiritual messages within these very secular songs, maybe songs, you know, that didn't, yeah. weren't considered gospel, gospel tunes. And at the same time, you know, you read about the fact that his dad, you know, kicked him out when he was like 12 or 13 years old because he found him with a girl. And then, of course, his career right. ended up blowing up and a vast majority of that early music was all mm-hmm. about sex. But every time anybody would ever interview him and he would be asked about the sexual content within his music, he was always very clear about the fact that sex was a gift from God, that it was a spiritual experience for him. It wasn't something that he was constantly talking about with regard to just being promiscuous as much as it was with regard to enjoying yourself and, and allowing this to be a gift. So even that, you know, when you said, you worded it so perfectly when you said he was a shaman of sex and spirituality. That's exactly what he was. Yeah, because just like any young man, you know, who's arrived at a certain amount of fame, you know, because from what I know about his childhood, maybe he he didn't get the girls. He was kind of short, maybe a little right. awkward. Right. You know, you're not getting the girls. Yeah. Once you start arriving, all of a sudden, you start to exert yourself a little bit. So all those things are in your mind, not saying he's doing it, but you're writing about right. it. Right. You know, and then, you know, like I said, it's trying to balance that spirit and and the flesh, because I've always read plenty of books because I love the blues. You know, the blues is the devil music and oh, jazz. That's the devil. Well, why does the devil have all the good stuff? You know, who says that these things are, you know, who, 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 who laid that plan down? Are they writing about provocative things? Absolutely. But these things are very real. So it's rather to express them than to do them. You know, so yeah. people are just being people. They have a story to tell, you know, and hey, let them tell their stories. You know, stories yeah. have to be told. People have to find the hardest thing in the world to do is to completely and utterly express yourself honestly. It's very yeah. difficult to do. That's why I guess people like such as myself, you and millions of others, music, when people can speak for us, you know, we maybe we couldn't find the words. I couldn't find the words to deal with what had happened to Prince, but by reading your words, it brought my words. Then maybe somebody reads my words, it brings them words or brings them songs. You're supposed mm-hmm. to pass this exactly. around. You know, you just pass it around. It's not anything that should be just kept That's to you. Fun. You know, you're to share. We're, we're, sent, we're here on earth to share experiences with one another. And the more experiences we share, like the Jimmy Hendrix experience, which is quite an experience, you know, we change. We become different people. You want to grow. You know, and one of the frustrating things about, I guess, my teenage years and where I lived was like you felt stifled. I felt like I wasn't growing, so I knew I had to go out and to do other things. And Prince kind of let that fuse. I want to kind of live this life. I want to be around these people that are open-minded. Where is this this uptown? And I realized that my own uptown was inside. I had to go in deeper to find my own uptown. Yeah. And the more I went in yeah. deeper to self-discovery, you know, and then like-minded people, they see that light and they're drawn to it. Then you start, once you get a sense of yourself, you know who you are, you know who everybody else is, and that's when, you know, you start to meet your your, your, your comrades and you bring them in and then you begin to build community to find the things that you have in common. You learn from them, they learn from you, and you continue to grow as a person because that's what life is all about, being better than you were exactly. yesterday. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting you said that you go, you know, you go deeper in, within. Uh, there's another interview that uh, Mel B did, you know, uh, Scary Spice, did with uh, yeah. Prince. And and she was, it was a great interview because he had actually uh, invited her to speak to him. And, and it was like them just sitting down and talking. It was very respectful of Mel B. And it was just very cool. You could tell that Prince really, really respected that. And uh, he enjoyed it quite a bit. So he was a lot more open in that interview, you know, didn't have to do like the the evasion tactics that he would do with, with other media because she wasn't that kind of person. So he was right. able to really be open about his spirituality a little bit more and talk about things. And he said, you know, you, you – 
can have, like you said earlier, you share your story, and it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, just all about, like, rainbows and unicorns and happiness. Like, there can be other things in this stuff, but it's got to come out. And that's what he was saying. You know, you can have, he said, you can have hate. You can have anger. You can have all that stuff in music as long as there's resolution to that somewhere in the end, as long as you don't, you're not sending out a message of getting stuck there. Like, you know, you yeah. can, because look at his music. I mean, we know that he sang about love, of course. I mean, his, his theme all throughout his career was love, whether it was making love or getting heartbroken by someone he loved or, you know, being in love, whatever it was, there was always love in it. At the same mm-hmm. time, there was also anger. You know, there was also hate. I mean, yeah, oh, a song called I Hate yeah. You. There was, I mean, some, there was also, yeah, there was some misogyny. I mean, in, uh, you know, in Purple yeah. Rain, you know, after Apollonia yeah. let him know that she wanted to join Morris's group. He wasn't pleased by that. And if we go no. into the Black Album, Bob George, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, somebody don't like TV dinners, you sure to eat enough of them, you know. So it's all there, yeah. you know. <laughs> Go on there and put on that new wig I bought you. You know, I got a gun and it's loud. It's there. You know, it's all there. Exactly. You know, wherever that's coming from. There. But we, we all know initially he did, you know, he recorded it. He didn't want to put it out. He replaced it with Love Sexy. But years later, it was released. I mean, I'd heard it as a bootleg and I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. But I loved Love Sexy as well. Again, it's trying to balance mm-hmm. the energies. It's just where he was right. at the that's- time, whatever he was going through. Mm-hmm. And he expressed it the way he always did through music. With the, again, yeah. with this sense of humor, did you really take Bob George serious? Yeah. No, it's silly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just exactly. guys sitting around, let's do thing. something ridiculous, yeah. you know. <laughs> and even with that, movie yeah. star, how, how, how funny is movie star? Say, you wearing exactly. that pocket ribbon or whatever, you know, oh, man, that's dog, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> humor, the absolute humor. And I could hear him really having these com- conversations, you know, just with his friends, with Jerome or whoever else. Because, you know, the humor was always there. And that's one of the things I appreciate the most, just his sense of humor. Because people, you know, they go, right. you took Prince, like, I think sometimes they took him way too serious. And sometimes I think they right. just re- really needed to just kind of sit back. Because I'm sure he took himself serious, but at times... You know, I think people were taking him so serious that he would inject that sense of humor to offset who or, who or what they thought he was. You know, right. I remember the first exactly. time seeing him in a tuxedo. I was, it was a Grammy Awards, and I was watching with my mother. She's like, that Prince, he's in a suit? I was like, yeah, I know. It's kind of odd to see him in a suit, you know, just because he was always <laughs> so dolled up, you know. Or imagining Prince yeah. in a pair of sweatpants. I don't think he probably owned a pair yeah. of sweatpants, you know. <laughs> or to know. see him on I roller skates. Or, or to learn how fluent yeah. he was at basketball, you know, just like real Prince. Like, right. yeah, I mean, come on, you know, he he's a guy still. He's into other things other than music, you know. Yeah, yeah, he all over the map, and I love that about him. And I love that you know he'd always talked about digging deeper in the well, like you said, and really trying to to heal himself through music and and knowing that music was is medicine. And that's, like he said, that's why you can express those different feelings and different emotions, but you've got that sense of humor, you've got that resolution in it, it's something in it that lets people know that, you know, at the end of the day, it's all going to be okay, this too shall pass. And that's something that I love about it. And, you know, you express so much of that in your story. And I just, I really honestly, I I can't thank you enough for contributing because there's so much in it that even took me back, you know, I, my story was more of an emotional piece about just kind of what I was going through and how he really was a messiah, a musical messiah for me, really did a lot to uh, pull me up out of a pretty dark place when I was a child. And then reading your story, it really took me to the, something I could appreciate that I probably never really could have until I read your, your piece. It was like, you know, I'd never really, because I was so in my own story and my own experience, my own perspective of Prince and how I'd come to know him, I'd never really thought about all of the amazing things that he brought in aside from the music and the movies, like his, like his humor and like the fact that, you know, he did have this way of uh, connecting. Like you said, okay, he, he, wouldn't, he would go to the Grammys and he would have these kind of jokes, right, even, even on the stage. Uh, the one time that he dressed up and he wore like beard and mustache and glasses and a hat and an overcoat, yeah. like, to look like him. Uh, and uh-huh. then the time that he got up at the, at the 57 Grammy Awards and was talking about how, or the Music Awards and was saying that you know he he uh, said that that albums 
like books and black lives still matter. The way that he was kind of always teaching us to be honest and be truthful and be ourselves and be, you know, collaborate with people and try to really come together. And, and I mean, he states it in purple rain, you know, he says, I mean, in, in that whole album is really talking about us all coming together and and truth be told, but he says, you know, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. At yeah, he the says beginning we of, are gathered. Crazy. So, so that was exactly. all the listeners, we're, we, all of us together, exactly. we are gathered from here today to get through this thing yeah, called life. So, exactly. And so that's what he wanted us to do is, you know, get together and get through it together. Yeah. And we're all so just a little tribe, a little funky, weird tribe, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Get through this thing called life, and how fantastic of a message, and how wonderful that that he has been to to pull us all together like this, and to still be doing it now. So, yeah. thank you so much for that. And 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 again, I hope that you will send in another story for the second book. I no, I know that we talked about this, but I'm making this a public confirmation now. <laughs> okay, I'm holding you no, accountable. No, absolutely, so you because. To- it was your article that my wife read that set it off. And before we end this, I just still have to mention but my most recent favorite Prince moment that I also put in the uh, in the essay. I mean, basically the whole Kim Kardashian thing. Like, really? What was she thinking yeah. about? You're going to get up there and you're oh not God, going man. to. And he just, just you know, get off my stage. Just get, He just, wait. Yeah. It was classic Prince. Like, are you serious? Like, you know, let's get past all the show business. He's. I'm throwing down right now. The music's jamming. You're just sitting up here trying to pose. Bye, girl. Bye. You gotta go. You gotta go. I don't care who you are. You got dismissed. You know, whoever you are, Queen of England, Kim Kardashian. You, you're not yeah. up here to dance. You gotta go. It's a party, and you're just sitting here. Hey, no, bye. Bye. You gotta go, Kim. Sorry. You gotta go. Yeah, classic Prince. I love it. I love it. Just a prankster, always was, and very honest, very truthful, and always true to himself, no matter what anybody would think. And I dig that more than anything because that's like, always how I've been. I don't, you know, not not caring what others think. I mean, not to the point you're being a sociopath, and clearly Prince wasn't, but he was also not going to get wrapped up in that. He was about doing what he was put on this planet to do, what he was divinely inspired to do, his sole mission, his sole purpose, and he wasn't going to let anybody sabotage that. And no, he was involved with the it. real. He was always involved yeah. with the real. And if he decided he wanted to be someone else, that's when we get Camille. That's when we get Joey yeah. Coco. That's when we get Jamie Starr, yeah. his little aliases. And hey, yeah. but we yeah. know we know who that is. We know that sound. We recognize yeah. that. We know exactly who it is. <laughs> but go ahead, exert other parts of your personality, which we all have. You know, all our other sides yeah. of our personality. So give it to us. Give it to Most us. Definitely. Yeah, and he taught us how to do that, too. I mean, that's another beautiful thing. He was like, you know, if you have something that you're doing, like, straightforward every day, but you want to do something else, but it doesn't quite jive, well, then give yourself another name and do it. You know, I mean, that's well, fantastic. Thing. Well, that's like, the thing about everybody trying to put you in a box. Like, you can only do this. Yeah. You can only do this. A great quote I remember reading was, uh, I don't remember what year it was, um, but I believe it was when he was toward the end of his, he was negoti- trying to renegotiate his contract with Warner Brothers. And he said, oh, all I had to do was go into the office and basically tell Warner Brothers that I'm really considering my next album to be a country and western album. No, they were ready to negotiate right then and there. Because well, how are we going to market <laughs> Prince doing a country and western album? I mean, if that's what he wanted to do, fine. But he knew what they expected from him, so he could play on that to get what he wanted. And, right. and again, exactly. you know, just a master strategist, you know, going into dealing with these yeah. record company people and still I'm going to do what I want to do. If I want to put out four or five records a year, this is what I'm going to try to do. They're not going to let them do it. You're going to oversaturate the market. And then this is when the, the, the problems began with the label because he's a musician. Right. He makes music. I can only imagine what's in that vault. I can only imagine what's in that vault. Right, exactly. Just a, a treasure yeah, trove I mean, of film and video and songs and guitar solos and collaborations with other people. I can only imagine. Yeah. I can only imagine what's in like that discovery. So hopefully, like discovery yeah, Atlantis. We, yeah. Exactly. So hopefully, you know, with the estate that everything goes well, and then you know we can get you know the the the, the absolute jewels. I'm sure that are hiding in that vault somewhere. I just I can only imagine. <laughs> you know, I can only imagine what's in there. I know, right? Well, 
I'm sure he's going to let us in on a whole lot more. I know he's he's still riding through people right now. So it's only going to get better. There's still more to come from Prince. We all know this. He's, he, ain't, he ain't gone anywhere. He's still here. So, no, you know, he's the one absolutely. Put together. He's going to put two more together. He's the one that brought you my way and everyone else, you know, and it, we're all connecting now, and, and he's doing things through us. So it's fantastic. And, you know, but the show's about to be up, and I just want to make sure that everybody knows, uh, if you have not picked up this, grab your copy. It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com, but you can make sure that you read Lawrence Bowman's part. Uh, you'll want to uh, check that table of contents and skip to that page and make sure that you read that one because fantastic story. I can't say it enough. I'm just so glad that you contributed. And I, I will again um, say, you. we know for a fact the second book, Lawrence is going to be throwing another article my way, so look for that one as well. Lawrence, thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely, thank you. I will talk to you soon, and we'll talk about uh, what is to come next. Wonderful. I'm so excited. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And, again, don't miss us next Wednesday, 3 p.m. Central, with Elizabeth Harbin for Dream Interpretations, and we'll be discussing angel numbers. So make sure that you call in to get your free dream interpretation or to discuss what angel numbers you've been seeing and how they apply to you. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks again, Lawrence. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.